Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for this weekend is one of the really great stories in the New Testament, one of my favorite gospels, and one that was very important to Karol Wojtyła, Pope John Paul II. I used his, um, his baptismal name there on purpose because he considered this uh, gospel when he was a uh, professor of moral philosophy, when he was Father Bishop Professor Karol Wojtyła, but he also used it when he was Pope most famously in his great encyclical, Veritatis Splendor. I've said many times before, if you want to read one text by John Paul II, I'd read that one. I think it's the greatest of his um, encyclicals. It's on the moral life. And he begins with a detailed analysis of this great story of Jesus' encounter with the rich young man. For John Paul, for Carol Wojtyla, the essence of the Christian moral life can be discerned from this uh, story. How so? Well, there are three major themes that he asks us to attend to, and I'll make these the focus of the homily today. Three features of the Christian moral life that become real clear in this story. Here's the first one. There is a deep and abiding hunger in every one of us for eternal life. Now, we have a lot of hungers for different things. Um, We have hungers for success. We have hunger for money. We have hunger for um, pleasure, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are fine. But underneath all of them, beyond all of them, through all of them, there is this abiding hunger, which is the hunger for God, for the eternal, for some good and truth and beauty that transcend the fleeting goods, truths, and beauties of this world. There's something, if I can state it paradoxically, within our nature that orders us to what's beyond our nature. It's a lot of the tension of human life that that generates great poetry, that generates great art and drama, is precisely this weird tension that we're like dogs and cats and cattle and other animals in many ways in our basic um, desires and fears and so on. But we're not like the dogs and cats and cattle. There's something else in us that draws us and drives us beyond those animal desires and animal interests. And as I say, the poetry of, um, of human life comes in many ways from that tension between the two. Look at the um, Sistine Chapel ceiling. One way to read those, those writhing figures that Michelangelo painted is they're expressive of just this tension. There they are in all their kind of beautiful and animal physicality, but then they're marked by this this sort of writhing tension, this this desire for something more. Anyway, that's, I think, a basic truth about human life. Well, there's something really right about the rich young man as this story commences, something spiritually alive. 
And that is precisely his deep desire to share in everlasting life. He runs up to Jesus. And by the way, he's never described in the Gospels as young, except we just guess at it from the way he's behaving that he runs up to Jesus. Old people don't run that readily. Um, But here he is now. He's rich. So he's probably realized a lot of the basic goods of human life, the wealth, pleasure, power, honor, etc. But he has discerned this deeper hunger. And so he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. Everybody listening to me right now feels that question. Maybe not every day, not every waking minute, but it's there as a sort of nagging longing within your heart. What must I do to find union with God? More to it, another virtue of the rich young man is he comes to the right place. Doesn't go to some um, guru, doesn't go to some worldly uh, teacher. He doesn't go to the Donald Trump of his time. He goes to Jesus, who is the very embodiment of the God that he seeks. Really good instinct. And any, especially young person listening to me right now, follow those instincts. You know the desire for eternal life. And you know where it's going to be satisfied with Jesus. You know, we live in a time when choice and freedom and our will are so powerfully valorized. You know, life's all about kind of finding your path. It's finding your way. It's it's satisfying your longings. See, but this guy's got it right. It's not about his will. He seeks the good in Jesus. This is not Nietzschean will to power. This is a very gospel surrendering of the will to a higher will. Now, listen to how Jesus responds to this wonderful and spiritually alert question. He says, you know the commandments. The question, how do I get eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. And then he enumerates the commandments. Interestingly, almost all from the second tablet of the Ten Commandments, meaning most of those uh, commandments that have a negative form, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet, etc. So now here's what's interesting, and here's the second point John Paul wants us to see. If you want to live in friendship with God, and that's what eternal life means, it means you become the friend of God. You've got the desire. That's great, as the rich young man does. He's got the desire, and he's come to the right place. There's the first thing. But now, the second point. If you want to live in friendship with God, there are certain things that you just have to cut out of your life. Friendship with God means a life of radical love. That's what God is, right? To live in the household of God is to live a life of radical love. Therefore, certain things in your life that are egregiously repugnant to the path of love have to be eliminated. So, go back to the commandments. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? You want to walk the path of love? Well, man, you can't be killing people. <laughs> Don't kill. You can't be stealing from people. You can't be committing adultery if you're in a married relationship. You can't be coveting uh, people's goods. Those are, call them, 
basic level prohibitions if you're interested in walking the way of love. You know, I realize that a lot of people today are very uneasy with religious laws and prohibitions. You know, don't tell me what to do. Don't lay guilt trips on me. Thou shalt not. Use that language in today's culture, you know, you're, you're pilloried. But see, make the comparison to physical health. Imagine now a person running up to a doctor, Dr. Oz, or who's the, it's Dr. Oz, right? <laughs> TV doctor. Let's say you run up to him. Dr. Oz, what must I do to be physically healthy? Right? Good question. In fact, we would praise people today, wouldn't we, if they had that question. Boy, I'm glad you're asking about your physical health. You know, a lot of people don't. They're just, you know, sitting around getting fat and getting unhealthy. They don't even worry about it. So, hey, that's great. That's great. You're interested in your physical health, and you've gone to the right person. You've gone to Dr. Oz and said, what must I do to be physically healthy? Well, what's he going to say? His opening move, I bet, would be like Jesus. He'd say, well, are there some things you're doing that are just egregiously repugnant to good health? Are you smoking? Are you eating a junk food? Are you sitting around all day not exercising? Well, you got to cut that stuff out. <laughs> what must I do to have physical health? Well, stop smoking. Stop eating fatty foods. Stop sitting around. Okay. We accept it in the physical arena. Why don't we accept it in the spiritual arena? It's the same thing Jesus is doing, it seems to me. Eliminate those things from your life that are egregiously repugnant to the path of love. And everybody listening to me right now knows what those are, especially in your life. There's certain things you're doing, certain patterns of pride and envy and anger and violence that are just egregiously repugnant to love. Cut that out. Nobody would object to Dr. Oz and say, hey, you're laying a guilt trip on me. You know, how dare you tell me what I shouldn't do? Well, what would he say? Hey, no skin off my nose, man. If, if you don't want to take my advice, that's fine, but you're just going to get unhealthy. You know, so when the church says, here are certain things you shouldn't do, and people object, well, sorry. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you the truth. Okay. Rich young man takes that in. What does he say? Listen. Teacher, I've kept all these since my childhood. Good. And, you know, friends, I don't see any reason to doubt him. There's a school of interpretation that says he's self-delusional here. He's playing games. You know, no one can follow the Ten Commandments. I, I don't think we have to go into all that hermeneutical uh, somersaulting here. I mean, I think he's telling the truth. Teacher, I've kept these. You know, I, I've got it fairly together when it comes to these egregious violations of love. So Jesus, listen now, looks at him with love. It's great detail, isn't it? Because that's what Jesus is. He's the embodiment of the divine love. That's what this kid wants. He wants the divine love. Jesus looks at him with love and says, all right, there's one more thing you must do. Go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Terrific. Here's the third point John Paul wants us to see. God is nothing but love. Straight through. 
And therefore, the life of friendship with him, in the richest sense, is a life of total love, of self-forgetting love, a love that is now adventurous in its expressiveness. The rich young man has taken care of the basics. Yeah, I don't kill, steal, commit adultery. I don't covet. Okay, great. But Jesus senses he's ready for more. He's ready now for the big leagues. He's ready for serious spiritual stuff, which is why he tells him now to walk the path of radical love. Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and follow me. Give your whole life over to me. It's like someone who's gotten basically healthy and now says to the doctor, hey, I've cut out smoking, I've cut out drinking, I've cut out fatty foods, I've started exercising. Doctor, I want to be a marathon runner now. Okay. All right, then Dr. Oz will say, well, here's what you've got to do to be a marathon runner. You, you've got the basics down, but now we want a marathon, now we're talking serious physical health. Same thing here. Same thing here. Are you ready to give your whole life away? And here's the sad thing now about this story. We follow this path. We've come right to this, this decisive moment. And then we hear, at these words, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. He's just about to make the move into the spiritual big leagues. He's just about to make the move into the spiritual, something spiritually serious. And he stopped, he walks, he walks. So friends, follow this young man on this trajectory. Follow now on all three of these steps. And then see what happens in your own heart when you hear Jesus say, there's one more thing you have to do. Can you do it? Or will you go away sad? That's the decisive question raised by this great gospel. And may God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.